You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. website uh, so uh, if you want to learn more about it stay tuned to the website this week and you're going to see I gotta get a picture of him if it's okay to put on there as well if it's all right with him but uh, anyhow Micah chapter 4 and chapter 5 is where we're going to be at today uh, Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 8 also going to be in chapter 5 verses 2 through 5 Micah chapter 4 and chapter 5 is where we're going to be and we're going to talk about the prophetic ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas future, and we uh, hope to explain what that means as we go through uh, the scripture today. So uh, once again, this is the little book of Micah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and also chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Uh, It's going to make a little more sense as it relates to Christmas today, uh, when we especially get to uh, Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And so we do want to ask everyone who can and is able to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and also chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Prophecy often, when it speaks of the Messiah, talks about not only his first appearance, but also his second appearance. And sometimes prophecy works in, in a way that's called telescoping. Now, the prophet didn't realize that this was the case, uh, but a lot of times, if, for instance, give, give you a case in point. Now, we live in northwest North Carolina, and being from Pilot Mountain, we know, I know that one of the icons of this area is the unusually shaped mountain known as Pilot Mountain. We know if you go up on the parkway and look at it from certain angles, it looks as if the mountain's just right next to the mountains in Virginia, doesn't it? If you just catch it at just a right angle. However, if you start driving closer to the mountain, especially going Highway 52, and you come to the mountain and you realize that the mountain itself is separated from the Appalachian Mountains in Virginia by at least, what, a good, Stephen, by 45 miles or something like that at least. So this is what happens in prophecy. Sometimes things look like they're coming right side by side, but as you go through time, you begin to see that there's a little bit of distance between some of the events that we learn about. And such is the case with this. Now, we're going to do this backwards today because I want us to first look at the first advent first and then go back and look at the second advent secondly. So let's start in Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. We won't read all of verse 5, just the first section. This is the section that's going to make the most sense. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, from whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, 
For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Now let's go back to chapter 4, reading verses 1 through 8. It actually, uh, yeah, well, maybe just 1 through 5 there. But now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. Now, this is a powerful verse. What do you use a sword for? Well, a sword is a weapon. They'll beat them into plowshares, a farming tool, not a weapon. And their spears, a weapon, will be turned into pruning hooks, a farming tool. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But, in, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken, for all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious promises of Scripture and how powerful they are. That you fulfilled them in exquisite detail when your son Jesus first came to this earth. We also realize as we celebrate Christmas, not only the prophecies of old have been fulfilled in Jesus at his first coming, but we also anticipate the exquisite details of your prophecy that will be fulfilled when he returns. Lord, we thank you for Christmas and what Christmas means. And we just ask, Lord, that this morning that you would fill us with your spirit, Allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that we would apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. One of the great movies I enjoy watching at Christmas time is, is The Christmas Carol. You know the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. and he, He's one, he doesn't want to celebrate Christmas. He doesn't want his associates to celebrate Christmas. And he just says, bah humbug at the whole thing, you know. Sometimes, you know, it's easy for us to maybe get in that situation. We just say, bah humbug at the frustration of everything that takes place around Christmas. But he didn't want to celebrate Christmas. And we see that he was visited that night by three ghosts. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. While this is a fictional tale, we still see the truth that, uh, that, uh, that, Jacob, that Ebenezer Scrooge needed to focus on the things that really mattered. That he had put all of his focus on materialism. He had put all of his focus on, on money and, and all these type of things and forgot the real things that truly mattered. Love and compassion. His family, his friends, and, 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 and just having a heart for others in need. Well, beloved, I believe that if we look at Scripture, and especially the prophecies that we find in the Scriptures... We see that God tells us, much in the same way, to be focused on those things that truly matter. 
At Christmas time, let us be reminded of what the the Scriptures tell us, what the main focus of this event is all about, and that is that Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the Scriptures, was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the Scriptures and to provide us eternal life. As we worry about finding the perfect gift, we need to realize that every gift that we buy is going to pale in comparison to the gift that we've already been given by Jesus Christ. And that's eternal life. Amen? That's eternal life. Well, what do we see about this Christmas celebration? Well, we, when we talk about Christmas, we often look back at the things that happened 2,000 years ago. But we as believers need to also be reminded that Scripture doesn't end there. Scripture, in fact, tells us of another Christmas time coming. The first Christmas celebrates the time when God became one of us. But understand that the second Christmas is coming when this Christ returns because the same prophecies that were written about Jesus at His first appearing also apply to His second appearing. And when that happens, beloved, understand business is going to pick up for our good, for our benefit. So let's take a look at these prophetic ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas future. First of all, looking at the prophecies as it was fulfilled in Jesus as we talk about His first advent, uh, the first advent of Christ. We're talking about the Spirit of God, the prophecy as it relates to the first advent of Christ. And we see a few things as it relates to this prophecy. First of all, we see the past Christmas's location in verse 2. Now note it says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, this, this community, this district of Ephrathah is linked back to Ruth 4.1, uh, which uh, this, this region means fruitful. And this little town, this little village was called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And this Jesus would in fact be the bread of life. Isn't that interesting? I don't think that's a mistake at all. That this house of bread, Bethlehem, would be home of the one who would be the living bread given for you and given for me. But this little town, Bethlehem, was a small outpost community. Now think about this. If you were the king of the universe and you were going to make your appearance on planet earth, what would you choose? I think many of us would say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to choose a big place. Maybe New York City. Maybe, maybe Jerusalem, maybe Paris, maybe some, London or, or some of these big places, some of these big cities. And I'll make my name publicly known to everybody as soon as I make my appearance. That's not so with Jesus. He chose this little outpost, this community of only a hundred people or more. In fact, this was so small that when, when, the, that when certain censuses were taken, they didn't even include Bethlehem because it was so small. The king of the universe chose Bethlehem, this small city, to, to, to bring forth himself into the world. God showed his humble nature by choosing this meek and humble city to enter the world. Now, you know, a lot of times, again, I, we focus on the big and grandest, grandiose things of life, but God is not so interested in those things as much as he is the character of heart, as much as he is the compassion that a person has. You know, I believe that God is just as concerned about people in the boondocks as he is in the most urban parts of the city. Amen? I can't hear you real well, folks. This ear's topped up. Amen? 
As a matter of fact, I, think, I remember my sister, she, was, she and her husband were married at a place uh, way on up in, uh, in Surrey County. Beautiful place, Nun uh, Brothers Music Park. Nun Brothers Music Park. And a beautiful area, but this was so out of the way that, that no one had cell phone reception. And there were people, I'm going to tell you, now some people, if you, they go without their cell phone, they're in a world of hurt. You ever met anybody like that? If they don't have their cell phone, they start, they start getting a little twitches. Oh, I've got to have my cell phone. I've got to have a signal here. But I want to tell you, there were some people complaining you know, about this place being so far out of the way. But I want to tell you, it was an absolutely beautiful place. Because something special happened there that day. My sister and her husband were wed. Beloved, in the same way God chose this outcrop, this little community out in the middle of nowhere to bring forth the Messiah, the King of the universe. And beloved, we need to focus, I think that should remind us, to focus on the things that really matter. At Christmas time, we were so distracted by all the activities and all the things that happened that we really don't even enjoy Christmas so many times. Let us stop and focus on the things that really matter. Let us focus on Christ and what Christmas truly means. Number two, we see the past Christmas's person in verse two. We see a couple of things about this Messiah. We see a couple of things about this individual that was born. We see first and foremost that out of Bethlehem Ephrathah there would be one who would be a ruler in Israel. That this individual would be the king of the universe. And that as we see in Psalm 2 and Psalm 72, that his rule would extend to the ends of the earth. While there have always been dictators, while there have always been politicians who haven't had our best interests in mind, isn't it good to know that the ultimate authority is King Jesus? That he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and there is no other that is greater than he. Amen? There is no other that is greater than he. He is the king of kings. So this individual was also going to be something, something else was going to be interesting about this individual. Look what it says, whose goings forth are from old... From everlasting. That means that this person who was born in Bethlehem Ephrathah would have been alive before he was born. Now, boy, I'm going to tell you, that'll make your mind do cartwheels if you think about it. He was alive before he was born. Meaning that he was eternal, which points to one important truth. That Jesus is God incarnate. Amen? Amen? I am so glad to hear that Huntsville Baptist Church still accepts that important truth. Because, beloved, I'm going to tell you something. I've been in churches before. I preached revival one time. And I'm not going to name the church or name the person. And there was one man who became furious at me because I said that Jesus is God's Son, that He is the Son of God. And he was pointing to some obscure verse in the Gospel of John trying to tell me that he wasn't. I said, brother, have you read the entire book? Have you read chapter 1, verse 1 that says, In the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And have you read the fact that in verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us? He shut up after that. 
<laughs> I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, if I ever have to stop proclaiming Jesus as God's Son, I, I'll just start preaching to a bunch of squirrels or something like that. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. That's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That Jesus Christ is not just a good man. He is God's man. He is the God-man who left the throne of heaven, who came and dwelt among us. And if we ever lose that important truth of Scripture, then we have lost the entire essence of Scripture itself. Amen? I'm going to hear you from a good ear. Amen? In fact, as we look through Scripture, we see divine qualities given to Jesus. We see the Messiah holds the divine attributes of life. He's the giver of life in John 1.4, John 14.6. The Messiah also holds the divine attribute of self-existence, John 5.26, Hebrews 7.16. The Messiah also holds the divine attribute of immutability, meaning he does not change in Hebrews 13.8. The Messiah holds the divine attribute of truth in John 14.6 and Revelation 3.7. The Messiah holds the divine attribute of love in 1 John 3.16. The Messiah holds the divine attribute attribute of holiness in Luke 1.35, John 6.69, and Hebrews 7.26. The Messiah also holds the divine attribute of eternity. He is eternal. He existed before he was ever even born. We see this in this passage of Scripture in John 1.1. The Messiah holds the divine attribute of omnipresence, uh, Matthew 28.20, Ephesians 1.23. He also holds the divine attribute of omniscience, Matthew 9.4, John 2.24, and verse 25. Acts 1, 24, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Colossians 2, 3. The Messiah also holds the divine attribute of omnipotence, meaning he is all-powerful. Matthew 27, 18, Revelation 1, 8, and we could keep going on. We have just scratched the surface. The fact that Jesus is God come in the flesh is not even a question mark in the New Testament. In fact, it's not even a question mark in the Old Testament that this Messiah who was born in Bethlehem Ephrathah was not just an ordinary human being, but was in fact God who left the throne of heaven, who came and dwelt among us to provide you what you could not provide yourself, to provide me what I could not provide myself, and that is eternal life. God came and done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We see also past Christmas's rejection. In verse 3 we see this, Therefore he shall give them up, it's like God has given, up, has given them up the people to their enemies until the time that she who was in labor, meaning Mary, has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. This means that, that in many ways, in a fuller sense, as we see Isaiah 53, that this Messiah, God's own Son, who came to earth, would be rejected by us. Don't you know that God knew this before he ever came? That he was going to come and he was going to walk among us. He was going to dwell among us. He was going to preach eternal truths to us. But what would we as human beings do to him? We'd crucify him. How in the world would God justify this to himself? I mean, it's only because of love. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. That's why God came and done this for us. Because He saved us from ourselves, yes. But He saved us from our sin. And that's why, that's why at Christmas time, the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive is the gift of eternal life. 
You know, it, 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 it kind of hurts our feelings if we think about it, if we, if we try to give someone something. I remember at a, at a previous church where I served, we went out at a, at, at, a, at a parade one time during the summertime, and they had these water bottles they were handing out. And I, and I came across this one woman, and I said, would you like a water bottle? It's really hot, and I'm, you look like you're thirsty. And she said, I don't want your water bottle. I don't want your water. I said, okay, are you sure? And I don't want your water bottle. Okay, well, that's fine. I'll just go about myself. She said, tell your other people I don't want their water bottles either. I was like, what in the world is wrong with this woman? We're just trying to hand out water bottles, and she just got all nasty. She has something against water. I mean, it's Aquafina, I think. I mean, wasn't anything nasty. I mean, my goodness. Maybe she was opposed to Aquafina or something like that. I don't know. I don't want your water bottle, she said. My goodness gracious alive, what's wrong with people? But you know, we do the same thing to God. God offers His free gift of salvation to us, and it's the same way. It's like we say to God, I don't want your gift of eternal life. You just keep it. I want to do it myself. It's the same thing. The greatest gift we could ever receive in this life. <laughs> this is getting me tickled here. The greatest gift we could ever receive in this life is the gift of eternal life. It's already been given. You don't have to worry about choosing that perfect gift because it's not going to be perfect anyhow. Jesus has already given the perfect gift. But it gets even better than this, beloved. Because Scripture not only tells us about the first advent of Christ, if we go over to chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5, we see that the, the, the prophecy of Christmas is continued. You see, we've only seen half the story just now. Christ has come, but it gets a lot better, beloved, because this same Jesus who ascended into heaven on a cloud of glory will one day return. And when he returns, honey, business is about to pick up. <laughs> Amen? Business is going to pick up. We see a few things about this. In fact, we see five things about this. We see the future Christmas's worship place in verse 1. You know, there's a lot of places in the Middle East that they're trying to cancel Christmas. But you know, one day, there's going to be an eternal Christmas. There's going to be an eternal celebration. Look at this. The Bible tells us, in fact, it's in Zechariah, that when the Messiah returns, he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. And when he does, the Mount of Olives is going to split right directly in two. And he's going to ride in to Jerusalem with a white horse. The first time he entered Jerusalem was on a donkey representing peace. The second time he enters is going to be on a white horse representing victory. He's going to have victory over this world, beloved. And look what happens in verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, Jerusalem, shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. People are going to flow to it. Why? Because they want to worship this King of kings and Lord of lords. They're flocking to this place. They've got to see King Jesus. They've got to see Him. They want to be part of this worship service. And you know, never know. Maybe Ashley will be over there leading the choir of angels as we, as we get ready to sing praises to the King. You never know. Amen, Ashley? You never know. But we're going to see this place of worship. And it notes that this, this place is Jerusalem. And Scripture tells of the time when everyone is going to recognize the reality that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, in a passage of Scripture that dates to within three to five, a tradition that dates to within three to five years of the actual resurrection of Jesus, says this, For this reason God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every 
knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? One day everyone's going to see that we're not crazy. We're not as crazy as they think we are. They're going to see one day that everything that's said in scriptures is true. That this Jesus is going to return. And at that point in time, the world is going to want to join, take part in this grand worship program that's taking place. In verse 2, we also see the future Christmas's educational program. In verse 2, Many nations shall come together and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And look what it says. He will teach us His ways. The world is going to want to learn from Jesus. The world is going to want to learn from the King of Kings. And we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There will be a time and a place when everybody is going to want to learn of, of God's doctrine and theology. and where They're going to le- want to learn about the ethics and the right ways of doing things. And God's revelation is going to go forth from this city into the entire world. As everybody is going to be craving to hear more and more and more from God. You know, beloved, we as Americans, we, we, we ought to sometimes be ashamed of ourselves. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you have a copy of God's Word, you have a, you have a treasure. I saw a video not long ago how in China, there were Chinese Christians who had, their, had Scripture translated to Mandarin. And they had received their first copy. And I'm going to tell you, they were hugging this. They were kissing it. They were cherishing it. And they couldn't believe that they finally had a copy of God's Word. Whereas we, and many times in America, we, we place our Bibles on the top of our bookshelves and let it collect dust, don't we? We have been given a precious gift, the fact that we can learn from the Scripture. We can learn from God's holy word that He will teach us and and, and His His doctrine, His theology. We can learn. We can learn about His ways in Scripture. And one day the entire world is going to be flocking to Christ to learn more of His ways, to learn more of the truth that we find in Scripture. But it doesn't end there. Look in verses 3 and 4, we see the future Christmas's global peace. Look at this. And he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations far off. But they're going to turn their weapons into everyday devices. There's not going to be any more need for swords because they're going to beat their swords into plowshares. They're not going to need their spears anymore. They're going to turn it into pruning hooks, farming tools. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. There's going to be a day where there's global peace. There's going to be a day when King Jesus brings peace upon this earth. Can you imagine a day? You know, today, you know, this day and time we have to worry about, you know, securities and safety teams and stuff like that. But I remember a time, wasn't too far off, when Grandpa never locked his doors. You remember that? You remember those days? Grandpa never had to lock his doors, never had to lock his car doors, never had a church doors and never had to be locked. We can't do that anymore, can we? Not unless we want to have everything stolen from us. Or some, have some lunatic run in here and try to kill everybody. But I'm going to tell you something. There's, there's a day coming. And I don't think it's going to be very far off. 
that when Christ comes, those days are going to return. There's going to be a day where you don't have to worry about weapons. Our police officers, praise God for them. In fact, I saw some police officers doing their jobs just the other night. We took Jennifer out for a birthday party and there was an accident. And Praise God for our law enforcement officers. They do a dangerous work and we need to celebrate them and thank them for the jobs they do. But praise God, gentlemen, you're not going to have a job anymore. <laughs> Aren't you going to be glad about that? You have some other jobs to do there. But you're not going to have to worry about law enforcement because why worry about law enforcement when no one's going to try to hurt another person? Because at that day, there's going to be a day of perfect peace. No more weapons, no need for weapons. Those weapons are going to be turned to farming tools. No needs for nuclear weapons. Find something else, maybe, I don't know what they'll be used for. Maybe throw them off on another planet or something like that. I don't know what they'll do <laughs> to it. But at that, at that day, that there'll be no more need for weapons because Christ is going to bring perfect peace. You never have to worry about that any longer. And praise God for that. In verses 6 through 8, we didn't read this, but we see the future Christmas's governmental province that Christ is going to rule and reign over the entire world. There's going to be no more governmental corruption. There's going to be no more politics. And praise God in heaven, there's going to be no more Democrats and Republicans. Amen? Amen? No more Democrats and Republicans because you're not going to have to worry about that crazy junk anymore because there's going to be one political government and it's going to be King Jesus' political government and he's going to rule and reign and it's going to be a perfect government at that. But we also see finally the perfect future Christmases met needs. We see in verses 4 and 5 again that, uh, that everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all His people walk in the name of His God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You know what that means? That He's going to meet all of our needs. He being the great shepherd that we have, that we're going to be together in perfect unity. Some of you today, you may be celebrating Christmas for the first time without a loved one. Maybe you've lost a loved one and and maybe it's been several years without this loved one, and Christmas comes hard for you every year. Maybe you're thinking about some, some individuals I know, they, they're, they're facing a situation where they may get, be ready to, to, to give up a loved one. And, we, you know, Christmas, again, may be very difficult. I know this is going to be, I think, our first Christmas without, you know, or my, without my grandma, the last grandparent I had. We lost her earlier this year. But praise God, there's coming a day when Jesus returns when you're never going to be separated from your loved ones again. For those who are in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, part of the family of God, you're never going to be separated from your loved ones ever again. You're never going to be separated from Christ ever again. There's going to be nothing that's going to separate you from the presence of God. There's going to be nothing that separates you from your loved ones in Christ. We are going to have one eternal party. Amen? We're going to have one eternal blissful day one eternal day where we will come together as God's family. We will never grow old. And how, what a blessing that is. Let me close with this. As we look through Scripture, we see many stories. There are 66 books in Scripture written by over 40 individuals over several millennia. But the amazing thing about the Word of God is that there is one central message there is one central message, and that message is absolutely spectacular. You know what that message is? That God created this world to be a good place. But we, because of our sin, we messed it up. 
Amen? We messed it up. But God is in a transformation process. You see it all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God is in a transformation process. He's offered us salvation to, to bridge the gap that we have between us and the Holy God. He's done this to resurrect our souls, to bring us in a right relationship with Him. When Christ returns, the Scriptures tell us, He's going to resurrect our bodies. That we're going to have new bodies. And you know what that means? Bodies that will never grow old anymore, that'll never age, that'll never get diabetes, that'll never uh, have to worry about uh, hip, re hip replacement, knee replacements, nothing of the sort, no heart disease or nothing. It's going to be an eternal body. And then one day when Christ returns at the end of his millennial reign, God says in Revelation 21 and 22 that he's going to resurrect creation itself by creating a new heaven and a new earth. You see, beloved, as we are reminded how bad things are in society, we need to be reminded this Christmas that God is in an effort. God is in a process. He has a program to transform this creation back to the good creation he intended it, and one day we're not going to have to worry about any of these problems we have on this, on this side of eternity. What Christmas should remind us is this, Christ has come, and He has established a plan of salvation for us, but Christ is also coming again, and when He returns, He's going to right all these wrongs, He's going to transform this creation, and it's going to be a good place, beloved. So this Christmas... Be reminded not only of the birth of Christ, but be reminded that the prophecy tells us also that this Christ who came is also coming again. And when He comes again, beloved, there's nothing to fear. It's nothing to dread. It's going to be something of great glory and great bliss. And He's going to make all things right. So I think, I don't know about you, but I think that's something to celebrate this Christmas time. Amen? I think that's something to celebrate. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if the Spirit is knocking on your heart's door, I want to encourage you to come and receive Him today before it's eternally too late. You may not have another chance to make things right with Him, but we want to encourage you to come and receive Him today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you are burdened and heavy laden with some problems in life. We would encourage you also to come down and lay those burdens down upon the altar, giving them over to God. Maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and in your life, we just encourage you to come as He calls. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that we are reminded that Christmas is not only just a celebration, reminding us of the fulfillment of the prophecies that have been found in You at Your first coming. But also it's a reminder unto us of the day when you will truly bring peace upon this earth when you return. And so Lord, help us this Christmas to focus on the things that truly matter. And that's you. Help us to focus upon you. Help us to trust in your promises. Lord, we know that there may be many people today who are dealing with hardships in this Christmas season. We just ask, Lord, that during this time, you provide you for Thank you for all that you do and all that you do.
expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. was built on these simple principles. So was our university. Find your greatness at Liberty. Online or on campus, discover more at liberty.edu. It's the difference between a job and a career.